Thank you for listening to City Church Podcast. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit us at borocitychurch.com. That's B-O-R-O, citychurch.com. Additionally, if this podcast has been an encouragement to you, would you please email us to let us know? You can email us at sermons at borocitychurch.com. Thank you for listening. I want to talk about my childhood a little bit. A great, great time. 1986 is when that started. Uh, So when I was a kid, just like all of you, I'm sure, uh, I had heroes. Um, It started off pretty simple, you know, with whatever things I saw on TV or superheroes or things like that, but that evolves over time, as it does for every one of us. And when I think back on my childhood, up until even really like the high school years, there's, there's one person that captured my attention, my amazement. Uh, There was one person that I wanted to be like and tried to emulate more than anyone else in my entire upbringing. And that person was his heirness, Michael Jordan. That's right. I loved him. Every basketball team I ever played for, I wanted the number 23. At my sixth grade birthday party, you better believe I had a Space Jam cake. And it was awesome. And we probably watched the movie seven times in a row. Uh, I had collected basketball cards. The very first three pages of that notebook, all Michael Jordan cards. I would trade any card for a Michael Jordan card. Didn't care what it was. It's like, I'll give you a whole pack. I just want that Michael Jordan card. I kept my, my head shaved for five consecutive years because who did that? Michael Jordan. Just wanted to be like him. I had a life-size poster of him on my wall, six foot six, in all his glory, right next to me every night as I went to bed. A distinct memory for me, when I was about the third or fourth grade, I I was in Sunday school, and they asked if anybody had any prayer requests. Since it was the NBA Finals, I dutifully raised my hand, the son of a pastor that I was. And I said, well, we need to pray for Michael Jordan today. Him and the Bulls have got a really big game. And I was dead serious. There was no, like, I wasn't trying to be, like, weird or funny. It was like, no, like, we legitimately should stop and pray. Michael Jordan has a game today. He was a legend, and everybody wanted to be like Mike. He embodied what a hero is. He had incredible ability and skill. He was fiercely competitive and he always beat the bad guys, whether, whether it was the Monstars or John, John Starks and the New York Knicks, who I hated with a passion. Charles Oakley is a terrible person. <laughs> Michael Jordan was talented, rich, and famous. He was everything that I wanted to be. And that's kind of why I didn't really enjoy church that much. I was bored. Nothing really caught my attention. Sure, the stories were interesting, but I had heard them all. They'd grown a little bit too familiar for me. And I was hungry for something more. I wanted something a little bit better. That's why my hero was Michael Jordan and not Miss Laura, my Sunday school teacher. Miss Laura led the children's ministry at my father's church for 23 years, and she still does to this day. She was my teacher countless times at different age groups and she oversaw the children's ministry there. She was like uh, Mr. Dustin that we have. (laughs) Miss Laura was a sweet lady. She was soft-spoken and kind. She was firm when she needed to be, but I don't really remember her ever saying a harsh word to me. 
Miss Laura has always been a fixture in my life. When, I, when my family moved to that church, Miss Laura and her husband were already a part of it. Uh, and when my sister was born, my brother and I were relatively young in age. We went and we stayed with Mr. Joel and Miss Laura. We watched Thundercats. It was awesome. Great time. Still remember it to this day. Um, but I, I did. I appreciated Miss Laura. Like she was a good friend, friend to our family. Uh, it, but she probably wouldn't have known that because I was incredibly hard to deal with in Sunday school class. I rarely paid attention. I had ridiculous prayer requests, as I already said. And most of the time, I was just messing around. I don't remember much more than felt bored Jesus and snack time. If I was given a choice, I probably would have skipped Sunday school and children's church every day if it was an option. Um, and it wasn't that I didn't like Miss Laura. Like she was a genuinely kind person that I knew cared about me. And she meant a lot to me and to my family. But it's just that she wasn't in the category of a hero for me. She was way too ordinary, too mild-mannered, too common. How could she compete with the greatest basketball player who's ever lived? There's no way that Miss Laura could do that, right? Today, uh, we're going to be talking about the last mother of Jesus. And we've been talking about the different mothers of Jesus and the genealogy that Matthew lists in chapter 1 of that book. They're a painfully ordinary bunch of people. The only thing that is notorious about them is their sin. Tamar slept with her father-in-law, pretending to be a prostitute. Rahab was a prostitute. Ruth came from a polytheistic group of people, meaning they had lots of different gods. The, the, The origin of was from Lot getting drunk and his daughters having sex with him. Bathsheba committed adultery with King David. These women were embroiled in sexual scandal. They had bad reputations. None of them would have been on anyone's hero list. And yet, for some reason, they're included in the line of Jesus. And now we come to Mary and Joseph. They're not a special couple. They're very normal people. Joseph is from Nazareth, a small, poor town. Nothing good ever came from there. And judging from her engagement to Joseph, Mary probably didn't come from much either. And that's who God chose to birth and raise his son. The humble, poor family that no one really knew or cared anything about. That seems pretty weird. Why would God choose them of all the families that he could have chosen? There's nothing extraordinary or heroic about them. Joseph and Mary show us that God doesn't choose people like we expect him to. He's got a different value system, way of thinking. And when God thinks about sending his son into the world, he doesn't look at parents with ability or or money or with an amazing pedigree. He looks for people who are humble and full of faith. Because ordinary ordinary heroes are those type of people who are humble and full of faith. Let's read the stories in Matthew 1. We'll start in verse 16 and, and we'll jump to 18 and, and read from there and then we'll hop over to Luke 1. If you don't have a Bible, we have some Bibles in the back in the left corner over there. Well, my left, your right, depending on whether you're turning backwards or not. Um, but please grab one of those if you don't. We would love for you to have that. Uh, but you can also read along on the screen if you'd like to. 
Starting in verse 16, and Jacob fathered Joseph, the husband of Mary, who gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Christ. The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he'd considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She'll give birth to a son, and you're to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her, but did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. Now in Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin, engaged to to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Then the angel told her, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you'll name him Jesus. He'll be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He'll reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. Mary asked the angel, how can this be since I've not had sexual relations with a man? The angel replied to her, well, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the, one, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month for who, her who is called childless, for nothing will be impossible with God. I'm the Lord's servant, said Mary. May it be done to me according to your word. And then the angel left her. In those days, Mary set out and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judah where she entered Zachariah's house and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her side her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and your child will be blessed. How could this happen to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For you see, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped for joy inside me. Blessed is she who has believed what the Lord would fulfill what he has spoken to her. And Mary said, my soul praises the greatness of the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, because he's looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. Surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed because the mighty one has done great things for me and his name is holy. His mercies from generation to generation on those who fear him. He has done a mighty deed with his arm. He has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He's helped his servant Israel, remembering his mercy to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he spoke to our ancestors. And Mary stayed with her about three months. And then she returned to her home. Of all the families on the face of the earth, in all the time of history, this is the family that God chooses to be the parents of his son. 
Like we said earlier, Joseph and Mary are from Nazareth, small town, not where anyone was expecting the, the Messiah to come from. It says right after that, that, or well, one of the disciples, when he heard about Jesus being from Nazareth, said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Joseph and Mary are poor. An Israelite custom was that whenever you had a baby, you would go to the temple and you would offer a sacrifice. And the normal sacrifice to offer was a lamb. But if you were incredibly poor, you could offer two turtle doves instead. And guess what Joseph and Mary had to offer? The two turtle doves. Because they were very poor. Nothing was special in them that they were chosen to be God's parents. Their response to the angels is exactly how you would expect somebody to respond to angels. They were freaked out. They were really scared. This is weird. This is shocking. I don't know what to do with this. In his ministry, Jesus had two very clear opportunities to show that his parents were special people. And both of those times, Jesus took, not necessarily took pains, but he showed very clearly, hey, my parents are normal people just like everybody else. Joseph and Mary are very normal. Mary recognized this about herself. In response to God's choosing of her to bear the Son of God, she says, My soul praises the greatness of the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior because he's looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. And later in that same song, she says, God's done a mighty deed with his arm. He scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's toppled the mighty from their thrones. And guess what he's done? He's exalted the lowly. He's satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. Why did God choose Mary? I think it, it's because God loves to save ordinary, humble people. That's what all the mother, mothers in the genealogy of Jesus show us. We already talked about sexual scandal, prostitution, adultery, bad reputations, heinous sins. God comes to those people and he pours out grace on them. And he changes them. And Mary is the conclusive picture of that. God chooses the humble Mary to bear the Son of God. And what is her response? Well, initially she questions, and we will come back to that because it's very important to realize we've got to wrestle with the things that God calls us to do. But her eventual response is this, I am the Lord's servant. May it be done to me as you have said. And Joseph's response when, when told by an angel to marry this woman, Yes, he initially suspected that she was unfaithful to him. But when the angel explained to him that this, this baby was actually given to Mary from the Holy Spirit, says that he woke up from the dream he had and he did exactly what the Lord's angel had told him to do. No, Mary and Joseph were not special people. But when God in his mercy came to them with a special task, they believed him and they obeyed. They're a lot like Miss Laura. Miss Laura does children's ministry, not because she feels like she has to, but because she feels like God has called her to do that. Whenever she initially felt called to be the children's minister at my dad's church, which is not a very awesome church, it's a small church in rural Arkansas, she didn't have any training. She hadn't even graduated from college. She wasn't a teacher. She just felt like God was calling her to step into it and do it. And so she did it. There's something in Miss Laura and in Mary and Joseph that we should all want to imitate, and it's their faith. Mary's relative Elizabeth, who's the mother of John the Baptist, calls Mary blessed. 
In what way was Mary blessed? She says this, blessed are you, Mary, because you believed what the Lord said. You believed that it was going to happen to you, as he said. And that's what makes Mary special. God's word, God, comes to those who believe his word. That's what changed Mary. Her belief that Jesus was the son of God and that she should obey God and trust in him. God loves to step in and change those who are humble, those who acknowledge their need of him and believe in him and in his word. That power can change us too. Belief that that little baby was going to be the savior, that is what changed Mary. This baby won't just be your son, he will actually be your Lord, your God. And Mary says, I'll do it. Jesus came to Mary in her weakness and gave her the faith to believe that he was sent from God and that she should tie her life to his intimately. And Mary accepted God's call to do that. And while Mary did have faith, that didn't just come automatically. She wrestled with it. Mary responds like anyone would respond if someone came to you and said, you're going to have a baby and you've never actually had sex before. I don't know how that's going to work. I'm a virgin. She's shocked. That doesn't really make sense. Mary wrestles with that word. She's not like, well, Tuesday... I guess I'm pregnant from the Holy Spirit. That makes sense. Let's just kind of, let's do this thing. No, she's like, hey, this sounds crazy, is her initial response, which makes perfect sense. That's how she should respond. And Joseph has the same reaction. When he hears about Mary being pregnant, he he doesn't initially hear about it from an angel. He hears about it from we don't know exactly who, but not an angel. Maybe Mary, maybe just hearing it through the grapevine. But what does Joseph suspect when he hears, hey, your fiance is pregnant? He thinks that she cheated on him, which is exactly what we would have all thought at at the same time. So he plans to call it off. He doesn't want to hurt Mary because he does legitimately love her, but he doesn't feel like he can marry someone that he can't trust. Both Mary and Joseph wrestle with God Connecting your life to Jesus the way that they did is not easy. And for us to connect our lives to Jesus is not very easy either. You see, being an ordinary hero will cost you everything. It wasn't always easy for Miss Laura to serve in my dad's church. There have been some really rough times. Some church splits, you know, whatever you want to call them. Really, really hard things. And sometimes Miss Laura was caught right in the middle of those things through no fault of her own. Through people complaining about the color that the nursery room was painted. Literally. Not only that, did she go through the hard times in the church where where people left and said terrible things about her and other people. But Miss Laura, 11 to 12 years ago, also found out when she was at a doctor's visit that she had tumors inside her liver. She got really sick, um, but she didn't stop serving in the ministry. Yeah, there were times where she had to stop for a time because of surgeries, um, because she was incredibly sick and she couldn't do much of anything. She had a liver transplant about four years after that. 
And she had parts of her stomach removed, parts of her intestines removed. And to this day, Miss Laura is deeply affected by those things. Like she still can't function in the same way. She gets weak quicker, all those sorts of things. But you know what Miss Laura is still doing? You know what, we're, right now, do you know what she's doing? She's teaching four and five-year-olds at Calvary Chapel in Jonesboro, Arkansas. Not because she has to, but because she feels like that's what God's called her to do. And so she keeps showing up and she keeps doing it. It's not easy to be an ordinary hero. There's a cost that comes with it. Joseph and Mary understood this too. When they welcomed baby Jesus into their lives, they knew there was a cost that was associated with that. That's true of anyone who welcomes a child into their lives. We know that when you have a baby, things are never the same. You've got built-in alarm clocks and a permanently dirty back seat. That's just the way that it works. We all know that. Joseph and Mary's lives would change. But remember something else about what happened when they embraced Jesus. They weren't married yet. Think about what this meant for Joseph, who didn't hear about this beforehand. Joseph is torn up. He hears that Mary is pregnant and he is hurting. He doesn't want to disgrace her, but at the same time, he doesn't feel like he can marry her. So Joseph has his plan to break off the engagement quietly so that he doesn't shame Mary. But at the same time, he won't have to raise another man's child. He won't have to see the symbol of adultery that that he's known has happened for the rest of his life. And he can't be hurt by Mary anymore. But then an angel comes and says, hey, Joseph, you got it wrong. Actually, Mary didn't cheat on you. She's pregnant from the Holy Spirit. God is the one who has made Mary pregnant. And Joseph has a choice in that moment whether to believe God or not on this. And if he believes God, he's got to change his plan. He's got to marry. He's got to marry Mary. Um, And he's got to embrace this child who just moments ago to him was a symbol of adultery and unfaithfulness. He's got to say, no, this child now is a symbol of God's faithfulness and is one that I'm going to embrace with deep love for the rest of my life. And he decides to do it. And that meant that Joseph was going to believe what most of the world would probably not believe about him. Most of the world would have looked at him and thought, yeah, that's not your son. We know. We know when Mary got pregnant. We know that she cheated on you. And we know that you didn't really have the guts to do anything about it. And yet, Joseph had to embrace that shame in order to embrace this child. Many are going to think wrong thoughts about you, Joseph, and about your son. Are you willing to take that? When Jesus came into Joseph's world, he turned it completely upside down. We see just a little bit uh, further into Jesus' life that Herod, this evil king who is super jealous and hears that there's a king of the Jews, uh, and he decides, I'm going to kill every single baby that has been born in Bethlehem in the the last two years so that I can take care of whoever that kid is, because I don't know exactly who it is, but I'm going to take care of him. So what does Joseph have to do? He's got to uproot his family and he's got to leave for a couple years. He's got to find a new job. He's got to find a place to live in a foreign land where he doesn't speak the language, where they don't 
have the same God. And he's got to go and do all that. When Jesus came in, he turned Joseph's life upside down. And he did the same for Mary as well. A few days after Jesus is born, Joseph and Mary take baby Jesus to the temple. And there's a man there named Simeon who has been waiting for the Messiah to come. And and the Holy Spirit tells Simeon, hey, this baby that Mary and Joseph had, that is the Messiah. And he goes and he he shares with Joseph and Mary a prophetic message about who Jesus is and, and the beauty of who Jesus is, that he's coming and he's the redeemer. He's the one that's coming to save people from their sin. But then he has another message for Mary and he turns to her and he says, and you, Mary... A sword will pierce your own soul. What could that mean? Well, I don't know for sure, but we do know that Joseph probably died before Jesus got into his public ministry. Mary was still alive. So she was watching as her son was healing people. She was watching as her son was casting demons out of people and going before the crowds and and teaching She was watching as people rejected her son and said terrible things about him. She was watching as her son was betrayed. She was watching as her son was crucified after being wrongly accused of something he didn't do. Mary, you're going to have to watch your firstborn son, the son that God gave you, the son of God, the special amazing child that will become your Lord you're going to have to watch him die. That sounds like a sword piercing your soul to me. Being connected to Jesus Christ is not an easy thing. It was a gut-wrenching experience for Mary. And it will be for us as well. Are you sure that you want to be associated with Jesus? Sometimes we act like following Jesus is the easy thing to do. It's what you do if if you don't want to get in trouble. Like following Jesus is mainly about moral values and being a family man. You grow up in church, be a good person, which typically means doing whatever you're currently doing. That's what we mean most of the time by that. Someone asks, hey, what does Jesus want from your life? And we answer, whatever I feel like giving him. God loves me and he died for me so I can do whatever I want. How do we come up with that? You know what's interesting about the angel that comes to Joseph? It's that the angel gives the name Jesus. Joseph doesn't get to do that. That's not the way that it normally works. We all know that. When you have children, you get to name them. But Joseph didn't get to name his son. And I think that, there, that God did that in part to show him that he was not in control from day one. This baby, yes, you are going to raise this child. It's not like Jesus was boss baby immediately. Like he had to learn to talk. He had to learn to walk. All the, of course, like Jesus grew. But this child, he is the son of God. He will save the world from their sins. And Joseph, that includes you and your sin. This baby will be your savior and he will also be your Lord. He is God, and Joseph, that means that you are not. You see, to believe that Jesus is Lord means that you accept that you are not the Lord. We don't run our own lives. Like we said earlier, when Mary believed God's word, it changed her. 
It's impossible for our lives to stay the same if we're Christians, if we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and if we accept him as who he really is, the Lord. Following Jesus costs you something. It's painful. It's difficult at times. What do I mean by that? Well, in part, Jesus wants you to be okay with being a nobody like Mary and Joseph. He wants you to believe him and obey his word over and over and over again. Remember what we said about Mary. She was a simple, poor girl that said, all right, God, I'll do what you asked me to do. She comes up just a couple more times in all the gospel accounts. And when she does, it's not as a hero or star of the story. The best thing that Mary gets to do is ask Jesus to change the water into the wine. This is not like Nobel Peace Prize type stuff. She's a very normal, ordinary person. When she comes up, it's almost a reminder to us that to be a follower of Jesus, you have no special status. We all must be ordinary, humble people if we want to follow Jesus. We're not called to make our own name great, but we're called to recognize the greatness of Jesus whose name is great. We don't pave our own pathway to greatness. We just acknowledge his. The cost of being with Jesus is dying to having your name in lights, to being a keynote speaker or a Hall of Fame inductee. It's not that those things are wrong. It's just that they're not enough. They're not what life is about. All generations called Mary blessed. Why? Because she was Jesus's mom. It's not because she was Jesus. And to follow Jesus, we've got to admit the same thing. Life is not about me. Life is not about my comfort. Life is not about my success. It's about following Jesus. That's the cost. Give up everything to follow him. So practically, what do I mean when I say it costs everything to follow Jesus? Well, I think it starts with some really simple things. You read scripture on a regular basis You memorize it and you think about it. Why? Because that helps you recognize the ways that you're not actually living like Jesus is God, but you're living like you are and I'm living like I am. We've got to be thinking about God's word and meditating on it on a regular basis because that is what changes us. That is what humbles us and helps us to see that we are ordinary people that desperately need God. We need our, our minds changed. And the only way that we're going to be able to be the humble people that Jesus and Mary were is if God's word is getting into us and getting into our hearts and souls and shaping us in a different way. It also means that we do life with other people that follow Jesus. Life is meant to be done with other people. Where people know you, the everyday ordinary messed up you. Just like people know the everyday everyday ordinary messed up me. Anybody that truly does life with people knows that they're not really a hero. Even heroes are messed up people. Every single one of us. 
And so we need to do life with one another because it, it humbles us and it helps us realize, oh man, you're a person that struggles just like me. You need Jesus just like I do. And I can remind you of that and you can remind me of that. And together we can fight against our tendencies to want to think that we are better and to want to think that the, the world revolves around us. No, it doesn't. We desperately need to be reminded of that. And the only way that we can do that is if we let people in to see who we really are and we stop hiding and pretending like everything is great. Life is not meant to be done alone. We've got to be ordinary heroes by opening ourselves up to one another and by opening ourselves up to the word of God. And then we'll love one another enough to actually be changed. When God came to Mary, he didn't leave her the same. He changed her into a woman who believed and wrestled with God for the rest of her life. And he wants to do the same thing to us. Yes, being an ordinary hero will cost you, but there's also a reward. And it's this idea that Jesus is the one that became an ordinary hero so that we could aspire to be like him. When the angel told Joseph about embracing this child, he told him a few things about Jesus. He said this, he will save his people from their sins. And then the angel quoted a prophecy from Isaiah about Jesus, saying the virgin will become pregnant, give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Joseph thought, he was deciding whether or not he truly wanted this child. But in reality, this child had already decided that he wanted Joseph long before. He wants to be with you for eternity, Joseph. He wants to do that so badly that he is coming to earth so that he can give himself up to save you from your sins. Joseph thought that the worst news that he could hear was that Mary had been unfaithful to him. But what Joseph forgot is that he was just as unfaithful to the Lord. He and every person with him had cheated on God. And we've all done the same thing. By seeking to make our own names great, by making comfort our ultimate treasure, by treating God as if he's our personal genie, we've been unfaithful to God. Joseph decided originally that he wouldn't stay with Mary if she had been unfaithful to him. But God decided to come after us when we had been unfaithful to him. He did not send us away. The reward is Jesus himself. He's like a treasure hidden in a field that we find. And then in our joy we go and we sell everything that we've got. Because he's what we want most. Emmanuel. God with us. Better than what Mary and Joseph had experienced in getting to live with him for 33 years. Because when when Jesus died and he rose from the dead, he said that he was sending his Holy Spirit to live inside of every single one of us and that that was far better than having him in the flesh. To have him live inside of us and be with us all the time. Jesus becoming an ordinary, humble man so that he could come into the hearts and lives of ordinary, humble people and change them. So that by God's grace, we might be able to point people to Jesus, the ultimate hero.
That's what Jesus came for. And that's what Christmas is ultimately about. The other night, I was putting my my daughter Nora to bed. We have a normal nighttime ritual. It's nothing fancy. It's pretty ordinary and simple. We just read a Bible story, talk about it. Half the time, Nora doesn't even understand what we're talking about. (laughs) By the end of it, I don't understand what we're talking about. (laughs) The other day, I was trying to explain who angels were. And I said, you know, the angels came to the shepherds and and they were really scared. And I said, Nora, why did the the angels come? She said, to scare the shepherds. (laughs) Yep, just an ordinary, humble hero. That's who I am. (laughs) So we'll read a story and, and sometimes we sing a song. And the other night I was thinking about what, what song we should sing. And, and I, I didn't have any, any kind of songs in my head. And I was like, I, I don't really know. And then a, then a song popped into my mind. It was a song that I hadn't sang for over 20 years. It was a song from my childhood. And, and Nora and I started to sing it. And it was a really simple song. Uh, Make me a servant, humble and meek. Lord, let me lift up those who are weak. And may the prayer of my heart always be, make me a servant, make me a servant, make me a servant today. (laughs) Any of you guys sing that growing up? I don't know where I learned it from. Exactly. But I do know who taught me that song. And it wasn't Michael Jordan. It was Miss Laura. An ordinary, humble, everyday Sunday school teacher. And I hope that one day people will look at my life and say that I'm like Miss Laura. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for ordinary, humble people that give their lives because they've experienced the beauty of who you are. Thank you for people who sacrifice and and give themselves up so that we can know about who you are, especially for those, God, who, who do it without anybody noticing. I think of the teachers that we have in City Kids that sit back there every week and they're misunderstood sometimes and they have to put up with craziness and and it's, it's hard. And God, I think of countless other people who just go through life and it feels so ordinary and, and normal. It just doesn't feel like anything special. Going to work, coming back, trying to show Christ to the people around us, raising our kids, reading the Bible day after day, being honest with people, admitting that we've struggled with sin again. And just doing it over and over and over again. And Jesus, that seems like a mundane existence, but man, is it a beautiful one. And we couldn't have that if you hadn't first done that. If you hadn't first humbled yourself and come down from your throne so that we could see in an ordinary, humble man from Nazareth that nobody thought much about when they looked at you. That the Son of God can come in a package we didn't expect. 
Jesus, thank you for giving your life. Thank you for coming down. And thank you for dying and for raising again. We desperately need you. And we need you in this season. We need you in our lives right now to show us the way that we can be ordinary people that follow you day after day after day. God, help us to do that. And may this church be a place where people see Jesus, not because we're great and we're awesome, but because we're ordinary, humble people that love you and want to follow you and want other people to see who you are. Jesus, will you do that in us? Will you help us to be those people? Thank you so much for who you are. We love you, Jesus. Amen.